Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Hamilton almost steals the ball, now tips it away and does steal it. Hamilton front court, Hamilton underneath to Williams, lob for the slam, go! Cross-court pass, McCabe open for a three. McCabe's three is good, great pass from Bryce Hamilton. Rebels steal the inbounds pass, Mike Nuga up ahead to Hamilton, Hamilton with the slam, dunk! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, that was good. We needed that break. Math on radio is hard. So just to give a conclusion on the uh, Edelman $100,000 bet, he actually he didn't do it as a parlay. He split it up, $50,000 apiece. He just got a bad number on the Patriots. So if he shopped around a little bit, his hundred thousand for a Patriots Buccaneers Super Bowl probably should be closer to like an eight hundred thousand dollar payout instead of five hundred forty five thousand dollars. So well, I mean, you were looking at getting ten to one on the Pats and on win bet it was seven and a half and right. three forty is also about as low as a number as you'll see on the Bucks for the NFC. There you go, big five time. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. UNLV, a winner last night, 85-56. to 56, Big win over New Mexico. New Mexico is a very uh, hobbled program right now. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the way with the Rebels. The schedule is going to be really interesting. The Mountain West Conference is pretty deep. Uh, and the uh, road spots are going to be tough. This team does have the upside, though, especially with the defense they play, to compete in the top four of the conference. Now, if they don't play that defense and they're not cohesive on offense, then they could be the seventh or eighth place team. Um, I'll say it was a good sign to destroy New Mexico like they did. Didn't mess around with them. Um, If you want to go moral victory, uh, considering what San Diego State did, although San Diego State was beat up going into the UNLV game, but San Diego State followed up a seven-point victory here against the Rebels with a 30-point victory against unbeaten Colorado State. Um, So... They were within hailing distance of San Diego State. By the way, they're not going to play San Diego State next week as they were scheduled to do on Tuesday. That game's been postponed. We'll see when uh, that game will come up again down the road. It is interesting. As I was watching Candy, and I'm last night at the Thomas and Mac, I'm looking at New Mexico, and I'm like, this program has been in freaking tumult for years now. I feel like their team has incredible turnover, not only between seasons, but in season. Um but, you know, in a lot of ways, because both before 2014 were two of the top four programs in the Mountain West Conference, right? They would routinely challenge along with San Diego State and back then BYU to make the NCAA tournament. And while San Diego State has been the model of consistency and kept it rolling and gotten better, right? I think these two programs have actually been linked at the hip. And believe me, UNLV does not want to be linked with what's going on at New Mexico the last seven years. Going back to 2014-15, UNLV has had five coaches. New Mexico has had three different coaches. The records of the programs are actually pretty similar. New Mexico is 104 and 117. UNLV is 117 and 115. So if they can keep this up and they can keep this team together, right, playing defense, UNLV has a chance to kind of break out of that mold being tied at the hip with the Lobo program. Well, what you could say about them, Cofield, they're the legacy programs, right? Like, these are the ones that have the background and have the history 
but not necessarily the recent success. And I don't mean to be too harsh about New Mexico, a team that has had a high seed in the uh, in the NCAA tournament not that long ago. Were they a three seed uh, about uh, six, seven years ago? Like, they, they certainly have the history, but what they don't have right now is any sort of base to work from. And we talked to Jeff Grammer about this yesterday, that they're complaining about getting 7,000 as a season ticket base in New Mexico, where they would obviously kill for that here at UNLV, but I think that's the the issues are the same on scale in terms of you have programs that have seen a ton of turnover that have had no consistency in terms of the faces on the sideline or on the court, and really, they're both in a place where the fans are saying, you know what? Prove it to me. Prove it to me that I should care, because both of these teams are in a spot where they haven't been able to do that for a few years. Number four. You and I were uh, bickering a bit yesterday about the worst NFL head coaching opening. List out by at least one writer. I didn't even click on this because I know when you rank the seven openings, the Giants has to be the worst, but uh, apparently that's not the case. This is outrageous. Well, you didn't click on it. How would you know? I've heard. I've heard from sources. I've got sources that will read stuff for me when I refuse to click on a link and I'm being a child. Do you? Oh, I didn't realize that uh, that you... Oh, look at this! Look at this! My source told me about a different story! Look at this! You must be livid! Oh, this guy, Charles Curtis, is a genius at USA Today. Oh, look at this! Giant 7, Viking 6... Denver 5, Bears 4, Jacks 3. Yeah. Miami, the number two job that's open, and the Raiders not open, kind of open, sort of open. Richie B should get the job. Anyway, Raiders is ranked the best job. So what do you think about uh, them Giants, your Giants, being ranked the worst open job right now? Hmm. Hmm. You know, Here's the problem. I should have identified this yesterday. Nobody wants to live in New Jersey. Who, who would want to go to Jersey? No no one wants to be there. I mean, you know, that, that actually, Meadowlands is a swamp. Thing, the funny thing is, when you and I were arguing yesterday, uh, I, I was saying, hey, the Giants is the worst job because the ownership is the most messed up. And there's a, most of these situations that are open right now, the ownership is messed up and there is dysfunction within the, organ, within the organization. One of the things I did not get into, and that is quality of life and where you will live. New Jersey and New York is not as easy a sell as people in that area. You you and I are both from there. Like, it ain't the most pleasant place to live. Let's not even get into the media and fan pressure, but everything there is a giant pain in the ass to get back and forth from work and, you know, to raise a family there. I mean, you're making a lot of money as an NFL head coach. You should be able to afford it, but um, it's not all freaking. It's not a great experience at times, man. It could be a rough area to live in. Hey, I am I am the first to admit it's not Jacksonville, right? Like, like nothing can compare to living in the Florida Panhandle when it comes to that quality of life. This isn't well, Mike but, Hampton but, trying but, to find the Colorado school system. But you you like, you say but you say that, and for I mean, I listen. 
I guess you're making enough money. You can have someone drive you back and forth to work. Like one of the one of the things I love about Las Vegas is that it really isn't much of a hassle unless you live at the absolute corners of this market to get the freaking work. And while there are some people out there who are like, I don't care if I have a 35 minute or an hour ride. There are others who are like, man, I don't, you know, it, it's funny because I was banging on Indianapolis as a as a city, you know, the last couple of days comparing and contrasting, especially for big events, um, you know, Vegas against Indy. But there is something to being in smaller towns where, you know, the, the mind numbing effort of just getting back and forth from work is very simplified. Yeah, and as much as uh, as much as the Giants' job, I think is again, I don't think it's the worst because you said the ownership is the worst, and I think John Mara proved today that it's not the worst because they asked John Mara today and said, "Is this the low point? Like, or do you think this franchise is at its lowest point?" John Mara was very honest and said, "You know what? I think it is. Like, I really do think it is." When the ownership is realistic like that, when the ownership yeah. can say, "Hey, you know what? We know." We know it's screwed up and and we're gonna fix this i think acknowledging the problem in the first place even for a franchise with the history of the giants tells you that you have nowhere to go but up and that to me makes it a good place to go because they know you're at the bottom any level of success right now if you're a coach and you want to go in and you want to look like you're making progress then winning five games next year with the new york giants is progress winning five games in minnesota next year is going to put you right back on the hot seat. So winning five games in Denver is the same damn thing. Number three. She did it again. She did it again, and we're going to steal it. Mina Kimes. Very talented. Very good on social media. Came up with a pretty good... Twitter question when it comes to goofy sports takes. Explain this to the audience. Okay. So, Mina Kimes threw out a question that I thought everyone should have to answer. I think this is the question that if you ever are thinking about taking a friend with you to a game, you have an extra ticket, you need to ask your friend this question and use the answer to determine who gets to go. She said, what's your goofiest sports take that you actually kind of believe? She said, mine is, if the Bills want to truly get the most out of Josh Allen, they got to build a dome. Is it realistic to build a dome in Buffalo? Who knows? They're having stadium issues up there. But they're not wrong. Not. You want to solve those Raynaud syndrome issues of Josh Allen having finger and toe trouble? Put him in a dome. All Imagine right. Josh Allen in a dome. It'd be unbelievable. I like so it. I think we should all have to answer. All of us currently on a microphone, including Ari, no, need no. to have to answer this question. What is your goofiest sports take that you actually believe? Cofield, you're up. Uh, well, let's see. First of all, I do believe that Marc-Andre Fleury deserves a statue. So that's one. Not so goofy. Bill two, two, I do believe Rich Masaccia deserves the Raiders head coaching job. You're going to have to get two. goofier. That, that's two. Um, I do believe that the NCAA doesn't give a rat's ass if Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama cheat in football. Whoa. Okay. We're getting somewhere. And I'm actually I'm going to steal one because it's a, a goofy sports idea that should be turned into reality. I And I'm going to steal it from Adam Hill. 
if this could happen, I, I do believe the most important position on an NFL team would not be quarterback. It would be guaranteed one-yard gain guy. I don't know if you remember that. A couple of years ago, we tried to come up with you know important positions in sports that you'd add to your team. Think about where the NFL is now with four, with the fourth down debate if there really was a guaranteed one-yard gain guy. Oh, we wouldn't be talking about Brandon Staley going for it on fourth and one from his own 18, would we? Because they would have gotten it. Guaranteed. They analytics say there are no analytics to 100%. You got it. You got it. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I, I And I like the goofiness of the NCAA lets the Blue Blood programs cheat. All right. You're, you're on to something. Now let's get something that will make no sense at all. Ari, what do you have? Oh, no. That's a fair lead-in, but I think this one is good. Uh, you have one? I have one, yes. I did my homework here for once. Highly impressed. Thank you. You might not be impressed with my take, but actually maybe you will. There's the take that we've been over millions of times on the show that the old school NBA players and the, the old back then would just get destroyed against this uh this current current generation of players. Thank you, yep. yes. I I believe that is true. That is a you take. Think old, that is you a think, take. You I think the, the that the nineties Bulls would get run off the court by the seventy three win Warriors. No, 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 no. First off, you have it backwards. And second of all, I'm thinking old old. Yes, I'm thinking George Mike. Oh no, I'm sorry, old old. Oh, I'm sorry. Ari's pulling out his George Mikan knowledge here. Well, Go you on. know. It's a, it's a young show here. Go back. Yes, I don't think those guys would would fare very well against a LeBron James and folks of that nature. Right. So essentially, like, George Mikan would be a poor man's Boban. Bob Cousy, you'd get slaughtered. Well, yes. The, yeah, Bob, yes. Bob Cousy with his right-hand exclusive dribbling wouldn't work in the year 2021. Might might not work. That I might not you. work out. All right. I, I like this one. All right, good job. Thank you. I have a rule change. I have two rule changes. <laughs> Okay, one I'm stealing from Clinton Yates, who responded to this on Twitter, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time debating this one because I want to get to mine. But he said, any time the ball gets away from the catcher on a pitch in baseball, the runner should have the option to try to steal first. Any time, any wild pitch, you should be able to take off and try to steal first. And if they throw you out, then they throw you out. But if the ball gets by, imagine you're down 0-2 in the count. And you're like, ah, oh, God, what's going to... You don't even swing at that ball in the dirt. It just happens to get by the catcher, and you're like, best chance I got. That'd be awesome. That's pretty good. Yeah, that add pretty a lot good. to the game. All right, here's the other one. One of the most ridiculous rules in all of sports, and Derek Carr knows it too well, is that if you fumble the ball out of the end zone on offense, it's a touchback to the other team. That's insane. But I think we can fix it. And I think we can make it more interesting. Because I think we can make it to where guys trying for the goal line have a choice to make. I think you should be able to get points for fumbling the ball out of the end zone. But there's risk involved. I think it should be like the Canadian Football League with the Rouge, where you can get one point for the ball fumbling through the end zone. You go for it, right? But what happens if you miss? The other teams can still recover the fumble, right? The other team can still go get the ball, and you give it up. It's a touchback. I think you should have the option to try to get points by fumbling the ball through the end zone offensively. I think Candy understood this question a lot better than Ari and I did. So I think we're all over the place on this one. We're a little long on the big five, so let's take a break here. We'll get to number two and number one on the other side.
It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Based on the number of inquiries that I've had from prospective candidates, we're not going to be able to interview even 20% of all of them. This is a very desirable job. We happen to have a lot of draft capital coming up. I think this is an organization that people want to work for. Now, back to Cofield and Company. In the Finley Toyota Studio. Adam Candy's boy, John Mara, the owner of the Giants. You remember, he's the guy who uh, was the impetus. I'll blame it all on him. The impetus for this stupid flagging of players for taunting. It wasn't just him, believe me. It was some really uh, off-base coaches who I think uh, maybe were misunderstood or they misunderstood what was going to happen. Uh, by the way, you, you saw what happened to the taunting penalty down the stretch, didn't you? Goodbye. Exactly. Which is what we predicted early, early in the year, that it was so stupid and so egregious that uh, they'd get rid of it. That said, as I also predicted, it did affect the teams that made the playoffs didn't make the playoffs because while the Chargers spit all over themselves against the Texans and couldn't get it done against the Raiders, you will remember the Chargers got screwed twice against the Cowboys at the beginning of the season and wound up losing the game. That win would have been nice, wouldn't it? But instead, there was, a, the same. there was a taunting foul and freaking Jared Cook in that game that I said would potentially affect the playoff race down the road. Finishing out the Big Five, so we'll kind of combine – our top stories here because there are actually more details are rolling in. Uh, Adam Schefter did a spot on satellite today. And while it's one of those, he kind of knows, but he kind of doesn't know type spots. I'm not sure how much credence to put into this one. Cause I think Jim Harbaugh is impossible to read. And he also gets off on being impossible to read. Schefter said that Harbaugh is more likely than not staying in Michigan. And that it would take just a boffo offer for him to leave and go to the NFL. So that report basically says nothing. Oh, that report says everything. Because where does Adam Schefter trade his information and make his money? Agents, 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 agents. Jim Harbaugh's agent is going to make this the largest contract that Jim Harbaugh could possibly get to go to the NFL. Stop so this you're crap. You're, he's not you're going. He's accusing, going. You're, you're accusing Schefter of, uh, in a way, doing the bidding for Jim Harbaugh by getting the information out there that it's going to take a lot to steal him from Michigan. I, that's Adam Schefter's job is to do the bidding to get the information out there. He ceased to be a reporter a long time ago. He's an information broker, which has its own value. But we shouldn't look at it as NFL reporter. It's information horse trader Adam Schefter. And it's a job for him, and it serves the purpose for the agents to get the info out there. Jim Harbaugh is going. It's just a matter of for how much money. Yeah, he also said, uh, I think he's further down the line towards staying than he is leaving. But I also know that could change like that. And he's been linked to the Raiders. The Raiders season is still going on. Rich Basaccia has done a great job. They're in the playoffs. 
How is Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, going to approach it after the season? What do you think of that part? Mark Davis, I told you yesterday, if he was going to keep Rich Passaccia, that should have been announced a long time ago. But I don't think he is. And I think that's why we're waiting on this. And I think the longer he dangles on Rich Passaccia, the more Rich Passaccia is going to believe that he doesn't have a shot. Hmm. He also said, I don't think that Passaccia believes that he has a chance to keep the job, Ah. which is unfortunate because he's done a great job. Now, that's interesting, right? Yeah. Yep. Go back to the same thing we just talked about with Schefter. He's do, he's getting the word for agents out there, right? And so if you're Rich Passaccia's agent, wouldn't you want Adam Schefter saying, you know what? I don't think he thinks he has a chance at this. Yeah. You want Rich Passaccia putting that that story out there right now that says, yeah, you know, Mark Davis really even has, hasn't talked to him, hasn't made it clear, hasn't given him any indication that he wants to keep him. Certainly would get the public sentiment going, wouldn't it? There is, there's a, I mean, it's not like I didn't know this, but for, for fans out there who uh, hang on every sentence here as some sort of gospel, I mean, Candy nailed it. When we talk about guys like Adam Schefter, well, I mean, very much Adam Schefter, NFL insider is a stupid term. NFL information broker is the label. And then you have to try to figure out whose agenda is he pushing? What does he get for it? But this is the game that's been played more and more, you know, the last, whatever, five, seven, ten years around the National Football League. And yeah, actually, I misstated. This stuff goes back freaking dozens and dozens of years. Um, Anyone who grew up in the Boston area knows that Will McDonough was an agenda guy. He was an information broker for the team's in the Boston area. You know, when stuff would get out about how, you know, players were crumbs, you know, with uh, Will's report, it's like, oh, I wonder where that came from, Will. Wonder how Mo Vaughn already turned into a freaking dirt, you know, somehow turned into a dirt bag when he was a uh, organization and fan favorite for years and years and years. All right, let's uh, bring on someone from the NFL Network in just a couple minutes. We'll get into some of these rumors, look ahead to Wild Card Weekend. More of Cofield and Company is on the way, live in the Finley Toyota Studios. They beat us already, so, you know, there's no no pressure on us, man. I'm just going to go out there and do my best as a 30-year-old old man, I guess. I guess I'm not one of the young guys now, even though we can play till we're 40-ish. You know, I guess as the old guy, I'll just go out there and give it my best shot and see what happens. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Oh, he's still a young guy, Derek Carr. Very hairy individual. I don't know about from the neck down. I've never seen him. Uh, But, man, that head of hair, Candy. That head of hair now. Unreal. You saw me during the pandemic. He is not even close. I saw your fro. It was very impressive. Uh, Carr has a a candy-like fro. Uh, Taylor Brashadi covered the game this last weekend. She covers the NFL for NFL Network. She's up here with Cofield and Company in Las Vegas. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me. I was Hell of a, a way fun to come trip in, to Las right? Vegas. I've got to tell you guys a story. It was actually my very first time to Las Vegas, and it just so happens that I did not sleep at all, but it was not from going out and partying. It was from my 2.30 a.m. call time, but it, the game was well worth it. 2.30 a.m. call time? That is yeah, lunacy. It was fun. 
it was lunacy, but you know, it's, you know, it's game day morning. So that's on, it's usually East coast, East coast games that we're usually promoting, but because it was such a great game, West coast game, they decided to let us, let us come on the show. So I'll admit early morning, I was not up cause I live in Vegas. I can't even remember what I did the night before, but, um, where did you do your shots from? Or was it the hotel room or were you actually out and about we, somewhere? We went to the stadium and then I, oh after God. the show, we went back. I went back to the hotel for like an hour and a half, changed, took a shower and then went back. Yeah. Vegas, if you get a chance to look around at 2.30 in the morning, even, you know, in COVID times is, uh, is quite the place that you, that in the middle of the morning. Well, <laughs> that was the beauty of it is that when I actually got up and grabbed a coffee, I was like, wow, nobody's even gone to bed yet. I felt like. I felt like all the liveliness around me kind of made me feel like I was a little bit less tired. <laughs> yep, yep. I used to do, I would do uh, overnight shows from places like Mandalay Bay. And, you know, you're in the middle of your work shift and people are kind of still going crazy or winding down. It's it's pretty, pretty nutty stuff. So speaking of nutty stuff, I mean, th- this, you've covered a lot of games. We've all covered a lot of games. Uh, being down on the field, what, what was it like watching the back and forth and ups and downs of that game, uh, Raiders Chargers? I mean, I, I've never experienced a game like that in any game that I've ever covered or even watched, I don't think. Just the back and forth. First of all, it starts off where, like, the crazy bonkers tie scenario that was far-fetched to even happen to have, you know, the Jags beat the Colts to even put us in this position. That was crazy enough that that did happen. And then to be on the field and to think that, okay, wow, this is actually going to happen. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, gosh, how am I going to grab a player from the Raiders and the Chargers? And then do we, which one do we have weight? Which one do we have not weight? Do we do them at the same time? <laughs> it was it was crazy. It was a back-and-forth battle. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Everybody was just kind of – their minds were blown on the sidelines. And so, naturally, Taylor, I'm sure you had no energy left for – the game on Monday night, right? Not that you had a rooting interest or anything. Oh, I mean, you know, I went to Georgia, but I, I had a little energy there. <laughs> <laughs> well, At least how, that, game, well, t- that game was anticlimactic compared to compared to Sunday night. That that is fair. I'm just curious about what your emotions are like going through a game like that with the big bad Alabama side against you, and just how close that was for a long portion of that game. Yeah, you know. I'll be honest with you. I didn't. I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't think that Georgia was going to be able to beat Alabama, especially after what happened earlier this year. You know, there was so much hype surrounding the defense. Like, you know, we've got so many players on that defense and on the team in general that are going to make it and go into the NFL. And you kind of think that you've got the best team in the league, and then you see what happens when you play Alabama, and they just can't beat them. And so I was kind of expecting that same story to happen in the national championship, but they played a heck of a game. It was a different team than what we saw. And especially in that fourth quarter, they just really shut Alabama down. So uh, give me some of your post game impressions going back to the Raiders and chargers. What was some of the more interesting stuff you heard in, in terms of reaction? I think, I think a lot of the reaction was confused as to some of those chargers decisions that they made. Right. The one that really sticks out to me besides the obvious one is, kind of going for it on fourth down when you're on your own your own 17-yard line. That is giving the other team at least a minimum of three points, three, three free points, at, I mean, a minimum, and then at maximum, you know, a touchdown and extra points, so seven. Uh, I, I don't really understand that. It's going to be a hard one for me to wrap my head around. But in terms of positive storylines for the Raiders, I just, I really do think that they are the team that is the Cinderella story this year. The way that they've I mean, it's been talked about 
at nauseum just what they've gone through and how much that they've had to overcome. But think about it. You're with a new head coach. You know, you've, you've lost your wide receiver. You've lost a couple of players to just tragedies. Um, and the way that the team has just rallied together and not only rallied together, but gotten stronger. And, you know, their defense has come together. Their offense has really shined. And I think that, you know, Derek Carr is a great quarterback, but I don't think that he's a top 10 quarterback. But now he's finally got a defense to help support him. And you're seeing that Josh Jacobs is hopefully going to be healthy going into this game. I know he was dealing with a little bit of a rib injury still, so hopefully he kind of gets back to full capacity and is able to go. I, I just think that they could be the Cinderella story of this year. You're around the Chargers scene more than the Raiders. You just mentioned Staley's decisions. What do you think happens? Like, you know, the last couple of days or moving forward with Staley and Telesco, and I have no idea if Spanos even talks to the guys, but I just, I don't know. I wonder because, you know, I was reading um, Ursay, you know, sat down with Frank Reich and Chris Ballard and, you know, with the Colts, and I just wonder how it all works logistically with Chargers management from the coach up to the owner. No, that's a great question. And Bailey actually got on a Zoom today and spoke to some of the uh, media that covers them, you know, often. And he was asked about it, and he just said, you know, sure, you know, you can sit there in hindsight 2020, and you can want to change certain play calls, and you want to, might want to do things differently. But ultimately, some of the decisions that people, you know, are questioning now are the same decisions that I had to make in order for us to get in the hunt in, in the first place. And I thought that was a great point. You know, it's so easy for us to sit here and say, in hindsight, oh, I would never have done that. I would never have gone to that play. That was a bad right. you know, bad choice. Had that been successful and had, it, had the process played out exactly how they envisioned, he would be called the best coach and you know, the most genius playmaker and you know, offensive guru out there. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think it's easy to sit there and criticize afterwards, and I think that he made a great point in that they wouldn't have been in this situation, and a lot of his fourth down calls that he did make did help them get into this position that he, they were even fighting for a playoff spot. Taylor Bershotti, NFL Network, the Raiders and Chargers, is up with Cofield and company here on this uh, Wednesday. Um, last, last one on on Staley. I One of the things that annoys me the most about the way the media covers, and I'm part of it, the way the media covers coaches, and I'm talking about media that has former coaches and GMs like – the the misinformation or the, I guess the unwillingness to actually talk to some of the people that are talking about when I saw Rex Ryan and Mike Lombardi come out, you know, basically saying that Staley should be on the verge of getting fired and that he's arrogant. I wonder if they've ever actually talked to him. I think you need to talk to coaches to kind of get an understanding of who they are and what they do. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that when you have covered the team for, I mean, I've covered them all year since he's become the head coach. I think that that short in that moment, that decision might have been arrogant, but him as a person and him as a head coach and the way that his players fight for him, the way that Derwin James got up after the game, he said, I don't really care what decision or play call he, he made. Um, you know, it's, We're ride or die with our coach, and we believe that he, he did make the best decision for us. I think that you've got to look at the situation as a whole and look at how much he's turned this team and this organization around in just one year. And he had a lot of moving pieces and a lot of new elements to this team. So I think that you've got to look at it as a whole and you can't look at it from this one mistake, if you want to call this one a mistake. I think that you've got to see, see all the positive elements that he's brought to this team and his players play for him. His players love him. And, I mean, from what I can understand, all the coaches, you know, support his decision-making too. 
it's a different way of thinking. It's a, it's a much more analytical approach and a much more, you know, stat based on statistics. And it's a different, it's a different model and a different kind of like version. It's, it's a de- more developed coach, I think personally. And so I, I don't understand the criticism. I think that it's something again, like, yeah, you should probably go talk to him and see his way of thinking and see his process and see, understand, try and understand why he did things a certain way. Taylor, you have the Let's Catch Up podcast, and I see back in October you were discussing, as we all were, just where the Bengals rank among AFC teams. And now we see this Bengals offense that is as hot as could be coming into the playoffs, hosting the Raiders. Uh, What do you think about Cincinnati and and how they might match up with the Raiders? It's going to be a tough matchup for the Raiders. The Bengals are, (laughs) when when the Bengals are, hot they're hard to beat i just think that joe burrow's connection with jamar chase which always makes me laugh because as a media member too you know we're always the first ones to overreaction monday when he was dropping all those passes in the preseason we're like oh gosh what a horrible draft pick this is going to be a disaster now look at them you know they're making like history and then they've got joe mixon they've just got such a strong offense that they're hard to stop and they're really creative in their play calling and their defense is obviously playing outstanding. And again, I just think that it's all going to depend on how the Raiders play because the Raiders have beat teams that, on paper, I don't think that they should have beat. I don't think they should have beat the Chargers on paper, and they have. And so, again, Cinderella's great. I think they could go in and do it. Taylor Rashadi's with us, NFL Network, also NFL on Westwood One. Who was the best team this year that you got to see up close? Hmm. That's a good question. Gosh, I haven't thought about that one. I'm trying let's to think of even the best game. Yeah. Well, you I was going to say, let's turn, me. I don't know. Let's turn it into a prediction. Who do you think is going to come out of the AFC? I'll, you know who I thought before all of this? I thought the Colts were. <laughs> well, and now nobody gets to see them. Right. Right. I think the easy guess would be the Chiefs. Right. But who knows? Yeah. Candy, what do you think? Who's the team? Uh, This is all matchup dependent, right? I think it's going to matter who comes out of this first round, especially. I'm really curious about this Bills-Patriots game uh, to see who gets out of it because I'm sure there are a lot of teams who are hoping that the Patriots match up a little more like they did in the first time that they got together than the second time because uh, Josh Allen playing the way he did against the Patriots at the end of the season is not a sight that I think any road team, I think any home team in the AFC playoffs wants to see coming in. Right, no doubt. Hey, Taylor, we appreciate a couple minutes. Uh, Let's get you on soon uh, down the road, and uh, if you're getting out there covering the playoffs, uh, have fun at one of these games. I know uh, you'll be busy during the playoffs, so thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. And go Raiders. Oh, look at that. All right. Good close. Good close. Currying favor with the local audience. All right. Quick time out. We'll go into the uh, grab bag here on a Friday. We'll get you updated again on some changes to the UNLV basketball schedule and a couple of points. And we'll have to uh, expound on this with uh, Eric Harper being officially named today uh, the athletic director at UNLV. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas.
Stick your hand in there, Dave. You know, Candy, I root for you, buddy. I root for you. Um, but I wish social media you would like today was a great day for you because you put out the uh, Tiger King mock-up, right? You didn't you didn't do it, but you retweeted it with uh, Derek Carr on there, and you know people with low IQs like myself, like I gravitate to stuff like that. And you need to be, we all need to be catering to Steve Cofield low IQ type audiences, which is why I guess Ari responded to this one sorry Ari. i guess maybe you're a low iq guy as well i saw the uh the portnoy group put out the list of top 10 male singers and i saw the graphic the other day and i looked at it for i would i think i counted 2.1 seconds and i saw a couple of names in the middle of the list and i'm like eh, they're doing it again this is stupid no one's gonna you know no one's really gonna comment on this like the list was so dumb and yet it took off so it's one of those things like uh, i don't want to sound jealous i actually i admire the brilliance of being able to troll that many people because they know people are going to buy it. You like you sound like you really got into this. You fell right for it. Now we're talking about it on the show. See that? I'm just kidding. Oh, you were suckering me. That's right. Yes. Uh, let's see. Ari right says my, uh, my, uh, my, ranking my of the top ten male singers of all time. No, no, no. Stick to sports and catering to your blanky fan base. Mm. All right, I'll just end this right now. Elvis Presley is not a better, quote, singer than Michael Jackson. And you can't even rate singers just arbitrarily singers. What does that even mean? But, yeah, I'm done. Okay, you, you realize, again, they're they're doing what, or you're doing what you <laughs> they want you to do. That's why you put together these, these lists. I'll give you another one that hasn't really gotten much exposure, but there's another one in college sports that is just, I mean, the, the lists are so dumb and they're so random. Um, it's called Big Game Boomer, and they get so much reaction around college sports. They put one out, and I, I could just see the comments and how dumb people are, not like not realizing the person who's putting this out is not serious. They put out a list a couple weeks ago, Candy, of uh, most likable and unlikable college basketball coaches, and there was really like no rhyme or reason to it. And I'm sure this person has never met any of these college basketball coaches up close or talked to anyone who has been around them, has no real source of information. And the thing just took off like wildfire because people just look on social media for stuff that they can get irked about. Even if it's, it's clear, like 98% not real. As soon as you look at that barstool list and see that Adam Lambert is right in the middle of it, I can probably tell you that we're That's not cool. taking this terribly seriously, except, and there's only one of the three of us, whose Twitter bio leads off with the word musician. Yeah, musician. So we get very upset about this. Yep, yep. So so the uh, the listing of Jesse McCartney, Adam Lambert, and Ryan Cabrera in the middle of it. <laughs> I yes. was, when I saw it, I was like, wait a second. Come on now. And uh, let's see. What's the reaction it's gotten? Uh, about 14,000 quote tweets, 724 retweets, about 6,000 likes. We are suckers, man. We are suckers for really dopey content on social media. Let's be honest. You guys remember the birds thing with Friday, so this is not really that surprising that, that I put but, this on the rundown, right? That you were gotten or yes. that you got us? I've been gotten numerous times, and I'll admit it. So uh, this isn't so much gotten. I just was really angry to see Wait, this. Candy, let, let's let's correct this again. Did we just get gotten? Are we getting gotten? Did Is Ari? No, I, I, did, I did not get got, and I have... <laughs> 
I have such high confidence that <laughs> when we do Festivus at the end of the year, this is absolutely oh, yeah. going to make it in there. This will this will be in there. The this will be in Brady's note there. without a question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's already like three pages in. It's not even February yet, so. Stick your hand in there, Dave. You know, I'm going to admit something. I haven't talked about this, but um, I got a little crazy during the holidays. I became a bit of a shopaholic. I've toned it down now for about 10 days, but uh, boy, this new Tom Brady rain jacket is really mm. really appealing to me. And I've never spent $350 on a jacket, but this Brady rain jacket candy, it's, it's looking pretty sweet. If I don't get that, I might get the uh, Tom Brady uh, baseball cap for $65. So they come in white, black, and avocado, right? Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I've bought a piece of clothing, sand shoes, that I've ever spent $65 or higher on. Ever. Beautiful. Beautiful. Not buying a $65 hat, 